Hi, my name's Henry. By the way, my mom is working for Birth Monopoly. I have a secret that I can't tell anybody. What I know about Birth Monopoly is not very much. Kirsten Clark is a mother, birth doula, and owner of Sacred Haven Birth Services in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, she's talking to us about getting her footing as a doula in an environment of trauma and abuse, and how her own practice has evolved as a result. Hi, Kirsten. Hi, Kristen. Thank you for joining us from the great state of Alabama. It's good to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I thought we would start off by me sharing how we sort of met each other, which was when you sent me an email last year, last summer, and I'll just read a little bit of it if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You said, hi, I'm a new doula, just began work last week. Over the last few weeks since the last birth I attended, I've been processing this. I witnessed an assault. The mom was ready to push, had made it through labor without pain medication. The doctor walked in, put on gloves, and stuck both hands into the laboring mom's vagina. There was no consent. He didn't tell her he was going to do that or ask if she was okay with it. He then began, quote, stretching her and announced moments later before the baby's head had even begun to crown, oh, she is tearing already. I was already bumped to the back of the room. Nurses crowded around her, but I had to look away because I could not physically handle what I was seeing. My body began shaking. I felt lightheaded. I felt frozen in place. I know my body was having a physical response to the trauma that was occurring right in front of me. I realized right after the birth that something had been very wrong and told a friend, I feel like I was a witness to rape. Ah, Do you remember really, that? Yes. That's really intense hearing my words read back to me because I don't think I've revisited that email since last year. Hearing that brings me back to that moment, that just feeling of just complete helplessness and fear and anger and grief. And I walked away from that feeling responsible in a way for what had happened and knowing that this mom had just experienced something that that shouldn't have happened that that something was really wrong and that there was this this visceral response in my body to what I was seeing yeah it's it's hard listening to that again I just kind of remember being back in that place and feeling completely helpless like there was there was just nothing that I could do to change what was happening to this mom in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like there were kind of two traumas going on at the same time. Yeah. And I realized I I had, I think somewhat of an understanding of, of trauma in general from just having like going to therapy and having kind of some of that explained. So I had a frame of reference for being like, okay, this, my body was responding to something happening. And even though I wasn't the person that it was happening to, I was still having this, this response and I needed to do something to work through it. And, and I knew I didn't want to be in that position again of witnessing something like that and feeling so helpless Mm -hmm. and frozen. And yeah, I just, (laughs) I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that again. And it was really, I don't know. I was thinking about the physical act of what I was watching. And that was my first experience with 
I've heard it called perineal stretching or perineal massage or like making room for the baby. I don't think that I had ever even heard of that before being at that birth. And I've witnessed it so many times now. And it's, it's a really common practice at the hospitals around here. Both OBs do it and nurses do it during like the pushing phase, which, you know, that could be a 10 minute pushing phase, or that could be a three hour pushing phase. And that is happening where the doctor or the nurse will have their hands. Sometimes it's, um, it's usually two fingers on each hand and sometimes they'll just do one hand, but more usually they'll do both and they will just have their hands in the vagina and be stretching the perineum. And this is long before, you know, the baby's head is even close to being out. It was interesting. I was actually talking to a doula friend who talked recently with a local nurse trainer at, um, I don't know what the term for that is, the nurse trainer. She's, she trains nurses at the college here, at one of the colleges here. And so the doula was like, so, you know, I see this perineal stretching happening at a lot of births are you teaching this in nursing school to new nurses or, you know, what's going on with this? Is there evidence to back up that this is preventing perineal trauma? And the trainer was like, no, that's just this habit that's getting picked up on the L and D ward. So there's no, we are not teaching this. There is not any evidence that we know of that this is helping. This is just kind of a cultural thing that's happening in these L and D wards. And, I mean, it's one thing doing that to a mom who has an epidural and really probably is not going to feel a whole lot of it. And it's another thing doing it to a mom who's unmedicated and is totally feeling it, but may not even have the presence of mind to be able to say anything about it. And it's certainly not likely helping with preventing tearing because the more that you touch with and mess with that area and the tissues it's causing inflammation and then it's less stretchy when the baby's head actually comes out and so it's more likely to tear yeah it seems really counterintuitive yeah yeah i think it's i think it feels like it's more the reason that it's being done is because it just feels like the medical professionals are trying to make birth happen faster on their timeline it doesn't feel like it's I, I don't ever hear it framed in terms of, I don't know, that we're trying to help you prevent from tearing or, or anything like that. It just feels like a thing to make things go faster. And it was really, really graphic witnessing that for the first time, like the big old spotlights on the vagina, <laughs> like she's in stirrups, basically um, up in the air, literally up in the air because this doctor was this huge guy that was like, six and a half feet tall. And he had her on the birth, like on the table up so high. <laughs> so he could be, you know, close to her vagina while she was pushing. And he just had these big old meaty hands that he just shoved in there. And I mean, her baby's head was, you know, right there. She was pushing it out and she didn't have any space or time to say anything. And yeah, by that point, I think just the visual of, somebody putting two hands inside a vagina without saying anything, no warning, and definitely no saying, hey, this is what I'd like to do. Do I have your consent? Is this okay with you? That was just so jarring that I think I just stepped back and I was like, I can't, 
I can't watch this. I like don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know what to do. This isn't right. But yeah, it was just really intense. Yeah. It sounds horrible. Did that change the way you looked at your work after that incident? It did. I think, so I had an idea that there was violence happening in labor and delivery rooms here in Alabama. And I knew that it wasn't easy to give birth here in hospitals. But I think there's a difference between knowing that like logically and actually seeing it and actually seeing how big a disconnect there was between, you know, this ideal of what you would think of as respectful informed care and the actual like really gory reality. And also just being like, I can't, I can't imagine any scenario when this would happen to a man, you know, <laughs> like I kept thinking, what if my husband was, <laughs> or what if a man was, you know, at his doctor's office getting his annual exam and the doctor suddenly shoved a Q-tip up his penis? There's no way that would ever happen. Like that would be headlined, like the doctor would be, you know, <laughs> burned at the stake immediately, basically. And this is just this thing that's happening every day in hospitals. And yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard realizing that because I think I knew that it was happening, but the reality of actually seeing it was harder than I had expected. I think, mm -hmm. I think I thought that I was prepared to see that because I knew it was happening. I don't think there is anything that could have prepared me to actually be in that situation and witness that. Yeah. So the mom who gave birth gave you permission to share this story. Did she have any thoughts on how this was for her? Honestly, I think for her, that moment in her birth was one of just a bunch of really bad things. <laughs> like from the start, she felt, I think, pressured into an induction and her original doctor she felt was pressuring her for a C-section on day one. She made it to day two of the induction and labored unmedicated and did make it to a vaginal birth. But she said the doctor who delivered her was the on-call doctor. And she was like, I am positive. He didn't read my birth plan. He, he didn't care what I wanted. He just walked in and did what he wanted to do. And so the, I don't even know if it registered to her that like the perineal stretching, the hands and the vagina, I don't know that that specifically registered to her. It was kind of just part of a continuum of her having care that wasn't respectful, that she wasn't listened to, that she felt pushed in a direction where she, she didn't have options. And she, and she, I think, felt like she had her back up against a wall. That image is just horrifying. I remember, I remember working with um, another doula who had seen something really similar. And I remember her telling me that like she kept it together until she was able to leave the room. And then she went in the bathroom and just was like, started scream crying. It was just like, I just can't believe what I just saw. And I, I guess just as a person with a vagina, it sounds so assault. I mean, it just, it's rapey. I, I don't know how else to say it. And I know that's like, that sound, it's so controversial to say that. And like people have such a hard time wrapping their heads around the fact that something that happens in a delivery room could feel like sexual assault to someone. And I know that's like really offensive to some medical professionals. 
I don't know what else you could call that though, when you're touching somebody's genitals without permission. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read an article the other day. It was about a black woman having a cavity search on the side of the road by police officers. It, you know, it struck me how it was described as a sexual assault. Yeah. And I thought, okay, at least in this situation, like somebody's able to make this connection that the cop didn't mean it as a sexual assault, right? Like she wasn't deriving some sort of sexual pleasure out of it. The female cop, I mean, as far as we know, but it is experienced as a sexual assault by the person who it is being done to. And it's all a matter of perspective, right? Whose perspective counts? You know, in my opinion, it's the person whose body is being acted upon. It's the person who owns the genitals we're talking about. Sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. Yeah. That did, have, did you see the movie Crash? I think it's like yes. 12 years old. Yes. I remember that, I remember scene. that scene with the woman, the black it's woman. It's the only that. scene I remember from the movie. Yeah. I like it was a little bit traumatizing watching it, I think, and that's why I remember it. Yeah. Like with that birth, it it's really different. I don't know, hearing about something or knowing that it's happening and then mm -hmm. seeing it. There's something just about well, and it's interesting with have you seen Hannah's um Ellis Prayer Method videos? Okay, so she does the vagina. So she so she's a doula. She's a doula in Alabama who has a certain teaching method. technique. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To sort of preserve the mother's perineum and, you know. Yeah. So she, um, I just did a training with her last weekend and she talked about, she has this model plastic model of vagina and it's stretchy. It's very lifelike. And she uses this for prenatal preparation with her clients, actually showing them what, the standard of care is in the hospitals. And so saying, okay, well, this here's, here's an intact vagina, intact perineum. And this is what a care provider or a nurse will very likely do. If you don't ask for anything different, they will have their fingers in and be stretching and sweeping. And this is what this looks like. And it, it looks like something you don't want to happen. <laughs> it looks uncomfortable. And she uses that to demonstrate also like episiotomies, the different types of episiotomies. Here's where the cut is. Here's where the cut can be. And she said her clients get a lot more fired up and her client's husbands or the, the dads, the partners get a lot more fired up about protecting the perineum when they see that visual. It's just really powerful. Yeah. And, and her teaching that really reminded me of like, oh yeah, that, <laughs> that is a really powerful visual. It was really powerful when I saw that for the first time happening. Well, I think the other thing though is with the difference of hearing about it and actually seeing it is that there's an added question for you of, do I have a responsibility here? That's not something you have to worry about if it's just something you hear about. But if you're like actually standing there watching this happen and experiencing your own trauma response and also going, I, what is my responsibility in this moment? Like, what can I do? What, what am I supposed to do? What should I do? And there's no, there aren't any rules for this, right? There are no, there's no formula. There are no guidelines out there for doulas that say, you know, when you witness and non, a, a sexual, a, an assault on, on your client, <laughs> here's what you're supposed to do. So, you know, I can imagine that that is just all the more traumatic 
that you're sort of put in that position of being like, there's no like rule book for this, but you also of course have some sense of responsibility, even if it's a misplaced sense, even if there's nothing you could do, you know, I don't think any normal human being could be in that situation and not feel a sense of responsibility to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. To at least speak up. And I think one of the things that was running through my head was that, you know, there's a constant debate in the doula world around advocacy and like, are doulas allowed to speak in the birth room? Are doulas allowed to speak to medical professionals or speak when the mother isn't speaking? And it seems like that, you know, that's a thing that each doula has to kind of hash out for herself or himself because there's no, there's no real consensus. I mean, I know some different, different certifying organizations have different rules, Mm -hmm. but even there, it seems like there's gray areas. Yeah. I think I, I remember kind of debriefing with another doula after that birth and just being like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I was frozen. I, I couldn't respond. And that was so awful. And her saying something along the lines of, well, you know, kind of giving a similar example of when she was basically witnessing an assault and she did speak up and it didn't change the outcome, but she was like, well, you know, if I hadn't spoken up, I don't know how I could have lived with myself. And that was just like, oh, because <laughs> I was just like, oh, I, ouch. Yeah. It, because it was really hard to forgive myself for not saying or doing anything at that birth and feeling like I had betrayed something or been complicit. I felt complicit. I felt like I was part of the problem. And so I reached out to you and I remember your response was really helpful. It was kind of along the lines, well, what I remember at least, it was along the lines of saying, you know, get close to the mom and connect with what she wants and needs and speak or act out of that that sense of connection and kind of having her back. And that was a big thing. But I also went through, went to my therapist that that specializes in birth trauma and used to be a doula herself. And so she really knew where I was coming from. And that was super helpful going through that. And I had to forgive myself for not being able to save that mom from, from being assaulted, from being harmed by that doctor. And I think it's kind of an ongoing process, giving myself grace and knowing that I can't control everything, you know, my sphere of influence in the birth room is, it's important, but it's also small. Like I can't, if if somebody is going to violate somebody else's personal autonomy in their body, then that's their choice. That's not something that I'm choosing. So I think just figuring out where my sense of responsibility is and what my responsibility is to my clients and the, the birthing people that I work with and realizing that I'm really not responsible to make doctors or nurses happy because <laughs> that's a really hard lesson that I'm still learning that they're, they're not my clients. They're not hiring me and they have their own set of things that they want to have happen and they don't always line up with what the birthing person wants or needs. But yeah, I think just, I, I just have had, had to give myself a lot of grace and just recognize I'm not the perpetrator with these, mm-hmm. these awful things that I'm sometimes witnessing. But I think it's been big realizing that it's okay for me to have a voice in the birth room 
And that that's really important to, I think, both to my personal integrity, just being an authentic person and being able to speak up when I see something wrong, whether or not that's going to change anything like the outcome. But it's also, I think, important to the mom, just feeling heard and having her experience validated because Hannah referred to it as like the circle of silence, um, witnessing abuse. And, you know, the, usually during delivery, the, the room is full of people like that, that birth I witnessed, there were probably five or six nurses in the room. And I was not the only one watching this doctor do what he did. And I was not the only one who didn't speak up or say anything. I've been in so many rooms now where there are things happening that shouldn't be happening and nobody's saying anything. So I think just breaking that circle of silence, just calling something out has become important to me. And I don't feel like I'm perfect at it yet. I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it, but I feel like it's restored kind of my sense of integrity And I feel like it's really important to the birthing people that I'm serving to just validate their experience and validate that I have high expectations for what their care providers should be doing for them and how they should be serving them. And when that expectation is not met because there's assault or bullying or aggression or, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is that I'm going to say something and I may not be able to change what that person is doing, but the, the birthing person will at least have the validation of like, Hey, (laughs) I'm not crazy for feeling like that was a sucky thing to happen. And at least my doula said something and tried to make, tried to make it stop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think from the perspective of the birthing person, you know, I can, I can really put myself in that position of when you think something's wrong, but you look around you and everyone's acting like it's normal. And I know I've had, I've had mothers say this to me of like, it made me feel like I was crazy because I felt like I'm being horribly violated in this moment. And I'm looking around and all I see are little happy, excited faces. And I'm like, why isn't anyone saying anything or why isn't anyone even having the same reaction that I'm having? Isn't it really obvious that I'm, that this shouldn't be happening? So I think, yeah, that your job is to validate the birthing woman, right? It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's go to a quick break. We'll be right back with Kirsten. You're listening to WLXU 93.9 LPFM Lexington. Lexington Community Radio. And this is Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. This program is supported by attorney Susan Jenkins, a national advocate for midwives and birth activists, specializing in business, governmental, and political issues related to birthing rights and the practice of midwifery. She can be reached at area code 866-686-1348. Would you like to support Birth Aloud Radio? Please contact us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. We're speaking with Kirsten Clark, a doula in Alabama. Um, Kirsten, we, you were just sharing with us about the first birth that you 
that you witnessed something really violent happen and how that kind of shook you and it was traumatizing for you as well as to the mother and, you know, how your perspective has changed a little bit since then. So I'd love to hear from you a little bit more about how you've grown and changed and how you think your, your practice might be a little bit different going forward. Absolutely. So I think one big thing that I realized after that birth was I thought about what my priorities were in the birth space and how I was reacting to certain things that were happening. And I don't know, I was confronted with the fact that I really was catering a lot more to the medical staff, the doctors and the nurses than I was to the moms I was working with. And that was really hard to, to recognize that I was doing that. How, think, how do you think you were doing that? Can you be a little more specific? So in that birth, that first birth where I witnessed something traumatic, the series of events that had led up to that were, it, it just kind of ended up snowballing. But basically the mom had been pushing on the birth stool. That was doing great for her. She was great there. That was where she was comfortable. She was totally happy to deliver there. But just from the few times her, her doctor had been in the room, I knew or I had a feeling that he was not going to be happy getting down on the floor to catch a baby with the mom on the birth stool. And I was terrified of him causing a scene, yelling, yelling at me, yelling at the mom. I was just really afraid of any kind of confrontation from this doctor. And so why would you think that he would yell at people? What gave you that impression? I think from the interactions that he had had with the mom up until that point, which were very brief, but his overall attitude was very patronizing and bullying. He was really putting the pressure on her to do certain things the way he wanted them done versus, you know, connecting with her and asking her what she needed, how she was doing it just felt like there was a lot of pressure in the room and he was this big tall guy. And I think that was also part of kind of my, my internal reaction that I didn't realize until after the fact I was afraid of this doctor and how he was going to act. So, so this mom was pushing on the birth stool and she was doing great. And it was about time for the doctor to come in and catch the baby. And I just, I don't know. I was just, I was afraid of what was going to happen when he walked in that room. And so, so I encouraged the mom. I was like, okay, you know, do you want to try to get up on the bed? We can kind of like break it down to make it similar to the birth stool. And she looked at me kind of confused and, but she's like, okay, yeah, I mean, I'll try that. And from there, it just snowballed. I mean, she got up on the bed and he came in the room and He had the nurses raise the bed up so high. I mean, the mom was probably like five feet, four or five feet in the air. She was up very high and she was not comfortable up there, but she was trying to make it work. And from the moment he walked in the room, he just kind of commanded the whole scene. And I kind of got shunted to the side and just lost my connection with the mom. Obviously from there, you know, He went on to damage her her genitals with his hands without asking any kind of consent or permission or giving any warning. That was part of why I felt so complicit because I knew that had she stayed on the birth stool, 
I, I didn't know, but I, I wondered if she had stayed on the birth stool, she would have had a little bit more bodily autonomy and her genitals wouldn't have been as easy to access. So she would have been less likely to suffer that, that damage that he caused with his hands. So that was just really hard processing that and being like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I was a part of this, this assault on this mom. And, you know, it, it wasn't my fault that he, that he made that choice to do that to her, but I was kind of part of the chain of events that led to her being in a position where he could do that to her. That was really tough too, because I mean, I had reassured this mom prenatally. I was like, you can birth whatever position you want. I'm going to back you up 100%. You know, you are the person that gets to make the call. And I did believe that. I did believe that when I said it to her, but in that moment, my fear overrode any, you know, any of that. And I just, I almost feel like I was doing, you know, the defensive thing that we talk about women being specially socially conditioned to kind of give in to somebody who's stronger than them or a man to try to avert further damage. So kind of like getting real low and being like, okay, okay, you know, whatever you want, just please don't hurt me any further. And yeah, so that was really sobering walking away from that. I mean, like, oh, I like was not connected with this mom and with what she needed. And I was way more concerned about what this doctor was going to do. And some of that was, I think, protectiveness with this mom. I think part of me thought if I could defer, you know, make things pleasant, more pleasant for this doctor, he didn't have to get down on the ground to catch on the birth stool, that maybe he would be nicer and not hurt her <laughs> because I was getting some really aggressive, like aggressive feelings from him. So I think some of that was protective, but it was also social conditioning of feeling like the doctor's in charge of the room, you know, the doctor's the expert. And even though I didn't, <laughs> you know, I wanted to believe the birthing person is the one that's in charge that holds the power, all of that, I, it didn't, in practice, what I acted out of was the doctor's the one that calls the shots. And so that really shook me to my, <laughs> and my, my beliefs about birth. And I had to kind of have a reckoning of being like, okay, you know, I do, I do still believe that the birthing person should be the one holding the power, but I didn't act that way. So what do I need to do differently to align how I'm acting and what I'm saying with what, what I believe is true. So moving forward, there had to be a lot of like self-forgiveness because that was just awful to, to feel a part of something like that. But I knew that I knew that I could do things differently. And can I just say a word about that? Like it's honestly, I, I mean, what you're saying is completely true and valid. It's also hard to hear because, you know, I keep thinking of what you said before about like, he's the person who chose to, he was the perpetrator. You were not the perpetrator, right? But what I heard from, what I heard you saying before was like, you were having a trauma response as well. So, yeah. you know, that freezing, I mean, that is, that is a completely uncontrollable physiologic response. You know, that's not something that 
you could just reasonably expect just wouldn't happen because you happen to be in a professional role. <laughs> so I think, you know, just acknowledging that you're, you were also experiencing a trauma and having to process that at the same time you were supposed to be acting in a professional role, but also experiencing something that is so outside of what a professional should have to deal with. It's just hard to, it's just hard to hear. That's all. I just have a lot of compassion for you in that situation, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Thank you. And, you know, I don't think there are probably very few doulas who become doulas because we want to combat obstetrical violence or we want to go head to head with physicians that are being behaving unethical or, you know, to the point of assault. But I mean, we, we get into it because we want to rub backs and tell moms that they're doing a great job and like support partners and watch new life come into the world and be a part of this really magical thing that birth can be. I feel like because the medical system is broken in so many ways and because violence is kind of the norm and, you know, and, and not even like violence to that level always, but there being like subtle violence, like bullying and coercing and belittling moms that are, that are laboring or pregnant. And I think because that is kind of, kind of the norm, we doulas are almost, we're forced to reckon with that somehow. And, you know, different doulas have different ways of dealing with that. But I think that's why there's such a big hubbub around like the topic of advocacy and do doulas speak or do doulas not speak because it feels, I don't know if there's any way to not feel conflicted and feel this sense of like I'm watching something really wrong and I'm in this space and something really wrong is happening to this, this birthing mom that we're kind of like pushed into that role. Like, I don't think any of us are, <laughs> are choosing that. Like it's not a fun, a fun part of our job. We'd much rather rub backs and, and say encouraging words to moms and just yeah. kind of be, be support and yeah. And not deal with birth, do. not yeah. maternity care. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. So how has this changed things for you? So I had to get really real about caring less what medical staff thought about me. And that was really hard because I have some severe people pleasing issues. <laughs> Personally, I really like for people to like me. And so to go into a situation and, you know, often when I'm going into not so great situation with a care provider, I kind of have some warning because the doulas locally are really great about sharing knowledge. So even if, even if it's somebody that I haven't had personal experience with, I've usually heard something through the grapevine. If this is a care provider who is not great at providing respectful, compassionate care. So I had a birth a few months ago that was kind of along these lines and I was really grateful that I had knowledge of this care provider when my client started going to her that she routinely does episiotomies and that that is just what she does. She does them pretty much always. I actually had spoken with another mom that wasn't a client of mine, but she was just telling me her birth story and she was like, yeah, and this, 
you know, the doctor cut an episiotomy and I don't, I don't think she asked, but I don't know. <laughs> and so I kind of had, I had an idea going in that this episiotomy thing was probably going to be an issue at this birth. And I just mentally prepared for it and was like, okay, I'm going to say something. I'm not going to just let this doctor cut this mom without, without asking or without warning, because that, that is a thing that I've heard. I had heard from other doulas likely of witnessing unconsented episiotomies, which is absolutely horrifying. The idea that somebody would cut somebody else's genitals without any warning or consent. At this birth, it was a first time mom, she had been induced and she was pushing and she ended up on her back, which um, she's unmedicated. She ended up on her back and I was kind of, had my eye on the doctor. The doctor was into to, for the actual baby catching part. And I could see that she was preparing her stuff for episiotomy. She was getting the lidocaine ready and saying to her, I was like, this mom doesn't want an episiotomy. She doesn't want an episiotomy. And that was really all I could think to do in the moment was to just repeat this, basically the statement that this mom had on her birth plan. I don't want an episiotomy. And the doctor ignored me. The nurse, the labor and delivery nurse that was closest to me was like, oh, she's just, you know, she's just doing that right now because the mom may have some tearing afterwards that she needs to repair. And I knew that wasn't the case. So I just kept repeating that. And I think a, a couple minutes later, the doctor put her hands on the scissors and I just kept looking at her and repeating that she doesn't want the episiotomy. She doesn't want an episiotomy. And at that point, the doctor started arguing with me, not even talking to the mom, <laughs> started arguing with me, well, this is the best thing to do. This is what I need to do to prevent tearing. X, Y, Z was giving me all these reasons. And, you know, I, I don't care if a mom gets an episiotomy or not. I care that a mom gets to choose what happens to her body. If she wants an episiotomy, great, that's fine. I, like that doesn't, it doesn't make a difference to me in my job but I don't want something to happen to her without her consent. So that was the thing that I was not okay with. It wasn't the procedure itself. It was the lack of consent and the obvious intent that this doctor had to just do this no matter what. And I don't think she was going to ask. And so we were in this, like, I mean, it became an argument almost. And after a couple minutes of that kind of back and forth, I, you know, I never varied what I was saying. I just kept repeating. She doesn't want an episiotomy. She said she doesn't want this. The mom whose her baby's head is on her parent. I mean, she's one push away from delivering her baby. The mom just yells, okay, just do it. And I said, okay. So she, so she did consent to it. You know, I question whether that was, I don't know if, you can have informed consent when you're one push away from delivering your baby and a doctor is arguing with your doula. <laughs> I don't know if that can be true informed consent, but it was at least a form of consent. And so, you know, I backed down and she did have the episiotomy and her baby was born a moment later. It was interesting walking away from that birth, the way that I felt, I still felt shaken because that was still in my mind, not, not the ideal, but I felt like I, I was so glad that I was able to speak up and it was really scary. It was really scary speaking up. It felt, um, again, I was, I was breaking that 
circle of silence. You know, that, that nurse did not want me to be talking. She did not want me to be saying that. <laughs> she wanted me to be quiet and let this doctor do, you know, whatever she was going to do. And so that did feel hard, but I walked away feeling much more intact as a person. And I felt like I was really glad that that mom knew that I had her back and that I knew what she wanted and that I was going to state whatever was on her birth plan, the things that she had said she wanted prenatally about her care. And I was going to say that if she didn't have the capacity to, which she didn't in that moment, it was a night and day difference with how I felt. It was still hard, but I felt like I was able to be true to myself and true to that, what that mom wanted. And I felt that again, I didn't feel like that was true informed consent of that procedure, but it was more consent than would have been obtained otherwise. And my, I mean, my hope is that that prevented a certain level of trauma in that mom, because I have heard of moms being cut without being asked and then realizing later what had been done to them and having to process through somebody did something to my genitals without me saying it was okay. And just the level of violation that that is. Yeah. So well, you supported her. You supported her decisions. Yeah. Even when she had two different decisions, you supported yeah. what it was that she said that she wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And Although I agree my- that wasn't, definitely <laughs> doesn't sound like, you know, full, full consent, but. No. No. And one of my doula friends, I was, I was you know, debriefing with her after that birth. And I was, you know, she's like, oh, well, that must have been really hard that that mom, you know, that you stood up for what that mom wanted. And then she changed her mind. And I was like, you know, that didn't, that didn't really bother me. I mean, it bothered me that it, it felt more like coerced consent, but it didn't bother me that she changed her mind and that, I I don't know, it, (laughs) I was just okay with it because I was like, she, I feel like that mom knew, yeah, that I had her back and that I wasn't going to let something happen to her without her being aware. Because she had no idea. I mean, she had no way to be aware of what the doctor was doing with prepping and the scissors in her hand. She, she didn't see that. And yeah. That's cool. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like you just had integrity about it you were clear what your responsibility was, right? Your responsibility wasn't to like prevent something from happening. Your responsibility was to use your words Yeah. when it was time to use your words. Yeah. And that, that leads me to another thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I feel like there's this perception and I definitely had this perception when I hired my first doula for my first birth that I had a doula with. And I feel like there is this perception that doulas are birth saviors, (laughs) that we can somehow change outcomes and make it a healthy baby and a healthy mom and prevent trauma from medical professionals. And that's just not, that's not the case. I mean, even if we had all amazing medical professionals that were respectful and compassionate, which we don't, we can't control those people that are going to choose to not be respectful and compassionate. But even if we had an ideal world with, you know, perfect birth team members, 
birth still has risks to it. Like I can't, I can't ensure that somebody's baby is going to be born safe and healthy. That's not my job. My job is to be there, whatever happens and to be support, whatever happens. And sometimes that means being support when there's trauma, whether that's something naturally occurring, like a baby that's sick or something that is from outside sources, like a doctor being abusive, but we're, we're just not, we're not saviors. We can't, fix your birth. We can't save your birth. We can't give birth for you. We can't (laughs) choose your care provider for you. You know, we can offer support and guidance and encouragement and information about all of those things. But ultimately, we're not, we're not in control of those things. And I think I've definitely had people hire me that I felt like this person thinks that when they, by hiring me, by having a doula, their birth is going to be a certain way. And that's just, that's not, it's not a safe, a safe assumption because I'm not, I'm not God. (laughs) I can't, I can't prevent bad things from happening. You know, I wish I could give all of my clients amazing births and I do my best to make that happen. But what kind of information do you give them that, that helps them to at least increase the odds of having a supported, respected birth? Yeah. So as far as I I do a whole lot of education with my clients and not even clients, it doesn't have to even be clients. If, you know, somebody comes to me off the street or on Facebook or whatever, and is asking for advice, I happily provide that as a community service, but it's really important to me that people understand what the standard of care is in Huntsville in North Alabama, that if you walk into a hospital and you don't ask for anything different, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get perineal stretching. You are going to get episiotomies with some care providers. You are going to get XYZ. And so I share that very openly. And then I share what the alternatives are if you don't prefer those things. Bearing in mind that some people are, are totally fine with that standard of care. You know, it's personal preference. So I share that. And then I've also become really passionate about sharing what my experience is with certain care providers and certain hospitals and who is supportive of birth choices. And sometimes that does boil down to who's supportive of more natural birth options, because a lot of the people, the families that come to me are seeking um, an unmedicated epidural free birth. But I feel like it's important for actually any family that's birthing, whether they want the, the epidural and all the drugs, all the interventions, or they don't want any, because there's a big difference in respectful care, whatever, whatever choices you make. I am at the point where there are some care providers that I am choosing to not work, work with because I have had experiences where respectful care was not given and there is bullying and there is abuse and I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't want to witness that. I don't want to knowingly put myself in the path of trauma because I know that that is not sustainable for me as a doula. It's not healthy for me as a person and it's not good for my clients. Like it's a level of being complicit that I don't feel personal, personally comfortable with. But, um, but a lot of it does also have to do with 
just good self-care and good boundaries, just knowing that I can't, you know, a mom may be totally fine with this care provider and all of the things that they do, but if I'm not okay with it, then that's not healthy for me as a person to be in that work environment. And it's not to the level where I'm going to share all of the like graphic (laughs) descriptions of the trauma and abuse that I'm witnessing. But, you know, I will say if somebody comes to me and they have a certain care provider, one of the ones that I choose not to work with, I will say, Hey, you know, I choose to not work with this care provider because of experiences I've had. I don't feel like I've seen respectful care from them of the people that they're working with. And so, you know, here's, (laughs) I'm happy to refer to other doulas who work with that care provider, or I'm happy to give referrals to care providers that I have worked with that have given respectful evidence-based care. That's great. So we just have a couple, couple seconds left. Do you have any final thoughts? So as part of my future, I guess, goals in professional development, I have been working with Tracy Weaver, who you had um, on the podcast a few months back or last year. One of the really big things that she's big on is building teams in the birth room and building relationships with care professionals, the doctors and the labor and delivery nurses that we're working with. And that's been really important for me to start thinking through because when I entered doula work and, you know, I was like, I was a home birth mom. Like I had my last two babies with midwives, home births across the state line in Tennessee where it's legal. So midwifery care is what is comfortable to me personally and what I prefer personally. And so walking into the hospital environment, I felt like I was walking into a battlefield. It felt really hostile and I felt really scared and really defensive towards doctors and nurses and just almost assuming that they had ill intentions towards my clients, the moms that I was working with. I'm really grateful for how my perspective has shifted and me and Tracy have had a lot of great talks about this, just kind of humanizing the doctors and nurses and where they're coming from and understanding their perspective more and understanding that in general, most people who are working with birthing people are doing it because they want to do something good. They're not doing it because they have these nefarious <laughs> intentions. They, they are looking to be a good change in the world. And often they're working under circumstances of trauma. Like they, they see awful things happen. They see really scary things happen. They're often really traumatized. And so that is sometimes where the, the things that I get my like feathers ruffled over as a doula where, you know, they're really insisted on continual monitoring or doing X, Y, Z with the mom, making her do this or not do that. It's often based out of a fear that they have of something going wrong. And they've possibly even seen that specific thing go wrong. And so that's been a big deal with figuring out how to move towards having positive relationships with the medical staff that I'm working with, just understanding where they're coming from and having compassion for that and giving them the benefit of the doubt, giving everybody the benefit of the doubt that, Hey, you're here for this mom and this baby to keep everybody safe. That's your, that's your goal. It's been, it's been amazing working with some care providers recently who 
are open to listening to moms and are open to be open to being respectful. And that's my goal to work with care providers like that. And there's, I feel like there's a very distinct difference even in the atmosphere of a room when a doctor or a nurse is willing and open to learning because often these natural births that we do as are supporting are some pretty weird stuff for OBs to be seeing, <laughs> like birth stool births and water labor and hands and knees births. Like that is not what they are used to. That is weird stuff for them. That is not stuff that they usually learned in med school or in their training. And so just having compassion for that, that this is out of their norm and I just appreciate so much when a doctor or a nurse has this respectful, open, I don't know, when they're, when they're open to learning. And it, it feels very different, the, the atmosphere in the room. So I was recently at my first birth stool birth, and it was the first birth stool birth that this doctor had been to. It, I mean, his humility and openness really was beautiful to me because he walked in this mom had been laboring on the stool she knew that that was where she wanted to deliver so we were all you know me and her husband and the nurses were all kind of around her and the doctor walked in and he said okay so how do I get this stuff set up here and he just got down on the floor and he said okay we're ready when you are and there was zero resistance to you know him supporting this mom in this position of her choice, which was very outside of his norm and probably uncomfortable to him. <laughs> he wasn't used to getting down on his knees on the, on the hard hospital floor, but that was so impressive to me. And I was like, you know, this is what, this is what I want to go towards supporting, also giving the support that I can to the hospital staff, the, the medical staff when they're doing something that's outside of their norm and giving them a lot of affirmation for that and walking them through it when there's something that I may know more about supporting on a birth stool birth than they do in, in certain practical aspects, but just having respect for their learning. Well, thank you so, so much for being so honest and open. And I think that's just so, so critical that doulas just start speaking openly about this stuff, about what they're seeing and how it's affecting them really that the trauma that um, doulas are experiencing as well. I think, you know, the circle of silence that you spoke about, it's not just about traumatizing birthing people. It's also traumatizing the people who are supporting them, including partners and nurses who might be in the room and doulas. So thanks for being a part of that conversation. Yeah. I'm so glad to be a part of it. This has been Birth Aloud with Kristen Piscucci. If you'd like to reach me with questions or show ideas or anything else, you can email me at birthaloudradio at gmail.com. Thanks for being here with us. We'll be back every other Sunday at 1 p.m. on WLXU. We'll see you next time.